0: Knows that life can change on a dime, but for a lot of people uh, in our profession, especially younger people uh, new in practice, this is their first experience and it's very uh, sobering. Uh, personally, uh, uh, most most of the people here, uh, like myself, have been through other crises, uh, you know, 9 uh, 11, which was a, a different situation, but since we're all aesthetic providers, uh, you know, there was post traumatic guilt that really uh, kept people from. Uh, wanting elective surgeries, you know, it was the market crash in two thousand and eight, which uh, you know affected us all financially, personally. Uh, over the years, I've had situations. I've had an employee mutiny. I've had a partner that uh, had to go into rehab. So, you know, prudent. Uh, what what we do for a living is to try and look at something and and prepare for the future. That's that's how we treat patients. And I think one of the biggest things to keep in mind is prepare for the next crisis and um, uh, again for younger people that haven't been through this uh, a lot of and even for experienced people a lot of people got caught with their pants down they're totally unprepared and we have to take this as a learning experience for our office our staff uh, our families and so next time this happens we're not scurrying for toilet paper and office supplies Uh, And I think that's really important. One other thing I want to say on a personal note, I have uh, two severely disabled children um, and and they stay at our house and we have around the clock nursing. And um, I know a lot of people are donating PPE to hospitals and things, but uh, there's a lot of people out there, uh, elderly, infirm, disabled, uh, that are uh, in places that aren't necessarily hospitals, but are very, very vulnerable, and we have to remember that population too. Thank you.
1: Well said Joe. Uh, you know I think that that's a uh, that's a really important thing and uh, I'm not sure I, you know what what all everybody's point of view is on on this right now, but I think that we're trying extraordinarily hard to to survive in many practices and adapt so quickly. Uh, so it's it's quite important for us to to remember the, uh, the, the challenges that everybody is uh, experiencing right now and you know, hopefully come together to figure out solutions.
2: So let, let's talk about some of the initiatives that plastic surgeons and dermatologists and others can do out there to try to get resources to the right places. Uh, Dr. Marilyn Moran's on representing the American Academy of Facial Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery and they have a ventilator program right now as far as being able to loan ventilators out uh, to other facilities. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
3: Certainly, yes. Um, so we uh, have a bunch of people who are obviously very concerned and engaged and um, wanted to get this ventilator uh, donation resource um, kind of a clearinghouse. And certainly it's something we wanted to do anyway, but they helped push us forward with that. We just created a very simple survey just to find out who has the ventilators and um, if they would be willing to loan them um, to uh, the, where they are needed at the front, front line. Um, we haven't got as much a res- a greater response than we were hoping for initially because of the fact that there's nothing more than, would you like to give away probably your most valuable asset that you're gonna need right away when you get practicing again. So we're trying to work through with a group that we're meeting with tonight actually, um how does that look at the end how is that how are those assurances going to be made what will the availability be after um you know when they are needed uh in a timely fashion um will they be usable you know as far as contamination will they be you know will they still still be in working order so we're trying to work through that we've got people from the goodwill who are going to be on our call as far as getting them from point a to point b they're also helping us um, work out contract issues um, we are. We've got people who are also simultaneously working on creating new ventilators, um, manufacturing new ventilators. We've got Virgin Orbital, um, which is the engineer uh, of Virgin uh, America. You know, Richard. Um, what's his name? Richard Branson, um, investing some money, and so we've got a bunch of really smart people, kind of working different aspects of this. But as far as what our academy is doing we've got the, um, the word out that this is what we're gonna do. We hope to get more participation once we can give people more information and assurances, but we also understand that people are also worried about surviving period and paying for their families and their staff, and we'll go into that more later. But um, the, the plastic surgeons have also created um, their own clearing house, and theirs is through the White House and FEMA. And so that's a different kind of animal because um, you know, the White House would then have FEMA come in and, and take over that. And, and so um, they haven't had quite as good of a response as I think they thought too, just because of people's concerns about what's gonna happen. So in theory, we all wanna help out. The reality is, you know, um, there's some practical things that we need to work through, but you know, certainly we want to look like we're interested and we definitely do wanna help. We just have to figure out how to best do that. That is practical for all of us as well. Um, we haven't done our PPE um, registry yet, but um, I know the plastic surgeons have done that, um, how to donate, and that's gonna be coming up next. We have a pretty small staff. Um, we're a relatively smaller organization, but um, we're doing, uh, working as fast as we can with what we have, and we hope to get the PPE registry up very shortly as well.
2: So I know there's a number of initiatives that industry is doing as well. I had a phone call with Saiton as part of the board the other day, And they're looking to what the automakers are doing and potentially retrofitting some of their capabilities from an engineering standpoint and looking at the respirator masks and even possibly ventilators. And I know that Revision Skincare is looking into changing over their lines to actually make hand sanitizers right now as well. Does anybody else know some of these initiatives that industry is is putting together right now?
0: What we're seeing is what nobody on this phone call was alive to see. But we're seeing a wartime effort, you know, where these uh, companies are uh, getting up there and retooling. And uh, you know, Mary, I 100% agree with you. There is a lot of uh, a lot of confusion about donating a ventilator or something, and, and the contamination issues, or if if there's a, a problem with that for them, or if there's a problem when it comes back. Uh, it would seem to me that as individual offices, the, the best thing we can offer are, are uh, expandable uh, PPE. I mean, that's, you know, uh, and, and our assistance. I mean, you know, in, in Virginia, uh, the governor shut everything down yesterday, so all elective things till April 24th, but uh, there's talk about graduating medical student class early, uh, so these people can assist too and uh, this whole thing is going to turn into a a united front in a big effort.
3: One other industry that is getting involved naturally would be the American um, Society of Ambulatory Surgery Centers. Um, So they're trying to create a list and reach out to people because certainly within our organization many of our members have uh, their own operating facilities and ventilators, but um, the Ambulatory Surgery Center is the over Arching uh, organization that works with AAAHC and Quad AAA and that sort of thing, so they have access to that information. They can reach out and find out who could mobilize not only to create uh, available ventilators, but also um, floor space. You know, places where um, you can have COVID nineteen units if if they need to expand their resources. So that's really important as we see what's happening in New York City.
2: So as far as everybody who has either masks or gloves, getting some of these resources to where it's needed. We have a couple different avenues to go to. We can get in touch with FEMA, we can get in touch with the local hospitals, or even potentially university hospitals and see where people are in need. Has anybody seen any initiatives like that? I've seen Steve Weiner's Instagram, and he was able to drop off uh, several boxes of supplies to some of the first responders in his area as well. So there's a Many different avenues that we can all do to get things in the right hands. One of the concerns out there right now is that I actually can't leave my house and there's a $5,000 fine. So for us as physicians, we have to probably carry some sort of identification on us. And if we're going to go to our offices and pick up these things and drop it off at hospitals and things like that, we need to have all this worked out ahead of time
1: we're in a, a much different situation um, because we're essentially a primary care dermatology practice, as well as the surgical and cosmetics. So 60% of our business prior to the uh, COVID uh, situation was um, medical dermatology, including skin cancer, but also rashes, psoriasis, et cetera. So uh, we're actually needing masks. We ran out of masks in the first week that we had this crisis, and our nurses, uh, amazingly enough, uh, went to work uh, making masks uh, for the staff and for the patients that do have to come in. We're only seeing emergencies right now, but having said that, it's a it's a very challenging thing because. Uh, There was one where a person had uh, skin cancer that we're treating, an elderly person this morning, and his caretaker comes in and started coughing immediately. Uh, And we were, you know, kind of like, oh, my God, what is what is going on? Uh, And, you know, so what we want to have is enough masks to cover over the people in the chair or the people that are accompanying them uh, if they need that accompaniment. So our nurses are sewing masks and they have the, uh, the material that is the uh, interface material as well as uh, elastic that they're doing and goal is that we have 60 reusable masks that we can uh, launder in between we have all kept our masks that we had. We had about a box of masks before we started this, and we've all kept ours uh, in the meantime and reused them for like the past week, which luckily we're not seeing that many patients, but we are seeing emergency patients or people that we've pre-screened on telemedicine mm-hmm. and feel like we need them to come in.
2: So Joel, let's talk about some of the, the emergency patients. So from a perspective of a Both of us do mo surgery, and I know Dr. Moran and Dr. Niamtu do a lot of skin cancer surgery probably as well. Um, You know, there are times where we really feel that we need to intervene. And, you know, if somebody has a squamous cell and it's close to the tear duct and we can't physically operate on them for a month or so, this may actually change the equation for us. So how are people handling that? It sounds like you guys are still able to be up and running to some extent.
1: Well, what we chose to do is to take those people that already had a skin cancer that was diagnosed or one that we had concerns about and at least offer them the opportunity to come in. So we had about maybe five or 10 people in the hopper. We're going through those uh, patients' charts, seeing whether they need to come in, whether they don't have to come in. Clearly, there's a risk for both the patient and for us to come in to uh, a person who might be in a nursing home who might uh, have been exposed to COVID and may not even know at this point that they were. So we're being very careful. Anybody who comes into the practice uh, and their caretakers, we take temperatures on them. Uh, we're taking uh, temperatures for our staff three times a day, including myself and uh, we've had uh, you know, compliance with that 100%. If anybody enters the clinic, so for example, if a UPS driver comes in, we take their temperature too before they come in. So we're being really uh, careful with it as far as what we what we do in order to make sure that we protect the staff and protect ourselves, but you can never be too careful in this instance.
2: So I understand different states have certainly different requirements right now based on the fact that they've had varying number of cases. You obviously have a very famous medical center for um, outbreaks and things like that there, but you have not had a lot of cases. So we want to point out that you guys are still able to operate to some extent. Joe and and Mary Lynn, what are you seeing in in your states?
0: Uh, So in Virginia, excuse me, in Virginia, uh, we were uh, told, it wasn't mandated, but we were asked to limit elective surgeries, uh, anything that had aerosol. So my practice is 100 percent cosmetic and um we were do you know we cut way back we were doing some scheduled cases uh, uh until yesterday and the governor governor came out with a uh, mandate so basically uh we have furloughed our staff and um i had a, a meeting today and you know i'm just i'm gonna see my post ops uh, technically in the state of virginia you can see any patient that you don't have to use Gloves or masks, and so for cosmetic practice, that pretty well rules it out. Um, you know, one of the things that we had a big discussion about today. So, for instance, I usually do a facelift almost every day, you know, three or four a week, and we've we've canceled all these patients, and now we're closed for a month. So we have significant money in deposit uh, where people paid for their surgeries, and. Um, so far, only a couple people have asked for that back. Most people want to continue with their surgeries. One of the things that we're kind of struggling with, uh, so if we're closed for a month and we open on April 24th, uh, who do you give priority to? The, the people that you've canceled or the people that were already there? And it, it appears that we're going to give priority to the people that have pay, paid and that um, uh, uh, we've had to cancel. So th- these are kind of new <laughs> issues that our practice is never faced. And, you know, again, we got employees laid off. And so we're pretty much down because that's all I do. Uh, Mary Lynn, what what is your situation?
3: Well, there are a couple things. Um, being a surgical subspecialty, uh, the ACS uh, mandated, well, that's, you know, through the government, but they, they mandated that, I'm sorry, the CMS mandated through the government that elective procedures should definitely be postponed the acs also came out with uh, mandates on that um or you know very strong suggestions Um, yes exactly and our and that is another um one and pretty much every um every other major organization has very very strongly worded um that these should be canceled um in and certainly asps also came out with a very strongly worded state statement um that they should be completely canceled um they took a fairly hard line uh viewpoint on that um our state put a mandate on monday that no elective procedures were allowed so um it's it would be really i mean i i I certainly canceled mine a long time ago and as the president of our organization i certainly i have to be a good example but um We uh, stopped seeing patients last week as well, other than, you know, we're doing, I had a couple of up patients that needed sutures removed, et cetera, and we are doing virtual consults. If somebody urgently needed to be seen, I would do that, but, you know, it would have to be a situation that would, you know, it's not like, oh gosh, my Botox is worn off. I need to be seen right away. So um, we're, we're being very, um, very fastidious about the orders to, to stop all elective procedures.
1: Very cool. So that actually brings up the question of telemedicine. And uh, we have started telemedicine uh, in our clinic as of Monday. So about three days ago, uh, uh, we saw our first telemedicine patient, and it it has been interesting. I I never expected it to be quite this... uh, quite this uh, way, but uh, telemedicine has been a great insight into some people's lives. So for example, this morning I had a telemedicine uh, Skype with a uh, two year old who, when he was in the office, he was unruly, I couldn't see him. He had uh, some infected uh, eczema uh, uh, that, was, that was actually strep positive. And uh, we ended up uh, putting him on an antibiotic for a month. And when I saw him at his house, he was completely calm. His mother was holding him. He was he was interactive. He enjoyed it. It was it was great to see the follow up, and uh, it was completely different experience than having him in the office. But uh, it, the challenges have also been trying to get people to connect because most of these uh, patients with telemed are nearly impossible to uh, to get the idea across of how to connect to it because. We're trying to get them to use the video on their cameras and on their phones and their connection is spotty. I've had people trying to uh, do their consults from a car while driving. Oh my God, it was crazy. So it's been an interesting learning curve.
2: So from Uh, a telemedicine perspective, we just jumped on that this week as well. Some of the existing electronic medical record systems are offering telemedicine and then there's some parallel systems as well, which obviously don't integrate with your billing or, might not necessarily integrate with your um, insurance plans. But from a practical standpoint, there are some things we can do for our existing patients in terms of prescription refills. We can do some follow-up visits. Um, We're trying to work with some of the societies as far as looking at Accutane. Um, Obviously, women need a pregnancy test, and if they are going to authorize some sort of documentation that we can embed into our EMR uh, that they took a home pregnancy test, that was negative, and then we can refill for those people. We've even been able to, at this point, one of my partners was able to uh, see a patient virtually who had zoster and therefore prevent them from going to the emergency room. And I think that's really the issue at this point is to try to take care of some of these people so that they don't clog the system and that they don't have further exposures. But I don't know how many people saw the New York Times article that just came out with a video that shows the emergency room at Elmhurst, which is a Mount Sinai hospital where I trained, uh, which was heartbreaking. And it showed that many of the people coming into the emergency room for other reasons other than shortness of breath, such as a motor vehicle accident, actually had CT findings that were typical for coronavirus with ground glass type of appearance.